Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Scott Myers, a screenwriter with over 30 movies and TV projects, a writing teacher, his blog Going to Story, his official screenwriting blog of The Blacklist, and on top of that, you're a best-selling author uh, with his book The Protagonist's Journey, an introduction to character-driven screenwriting and storytelling. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Good to be here, Stuart. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, we're going to do three films that have impacted everything in your adult life in the second half of this podcast. But before we do that, let us talk about your book, The Protagonist's Journey. I want to do this in reverse, if I can, for my first question, um, before going into details about what's in the book. Um, and, And it's a question I ask documentarians when they finish doing a documentary, and I think it's applicable when people write books. Because we go into a project... As, as sort of with, with one perception, and then we come out of having completed the project, maybe with some new perceptions or new ideas. So what for you were the biggest lessons in storytelling that you gained from pulling a book together like this? Because obviously you come at it as an experienced screenwriter, an experienced teacher, and so on. Um, but I just wonder for yourself, what, did you, what, what were your big lessons you took from pulling this book together? So the publisher, Palgrave Macmillan, which is a London-based uh, mm. publishing company, it's been around since the 1850s. Mm. When we were in discussion about writing this book, which, by the way, I had no intention of doing, but they asked me to look at what textbooks uh, film schools were using. And I was like, well, there's definitely a gap there for something that's focuses on character writing. Um, they asked me to do two things. One was to include television series, because most books focus either on film or TV. Mm-hmm. And frankly, most do film. And the second thing was to make sure that it included contemporary references, because young students nowadays, I mean, I teach at the at DePaul University in Chicago, undergrad and grad. You, you can't be assured that they're going to have seen Casablanca yeah, yeah, or yeah. some like it odd or, you know. So, but contemporary titles, uh, something that is relevant to them. So I, as part of this process, it was a 20-month process of writing. And before that, I did a considerable amount of research, watching a lot of TV series. And uh, not that I don't watch contemporary movies, but focusing on them and doing an analysis Mm. and whatnot. 
And so the, the takeaway I had from that is that the principles of the book about character-driven screenwriting hmm. and the importance of the protagonist, their role in the storytelling process, extends throughout the history of film and into TV series. There are some TV series where characters don't change, but basically most TV series over the course of seasons, the protagonist in particular goes through some sort of character arc. So that was one important lesson. And I was actually gratified to realize that, that uh, this, these ideas are, t- are rather timeless. Uh, a high-profile screenwriter, who I won't name because uh, it's not, he's not here for a right reply, he says that screenwriting can't be taught. Now, as somebody of a certain vintage who took up screenwriting, I'm talking about myself now, um, later in life, and is is moving on quite nicely. Thank you very much. I've been taught, been taught, <laughs> I've been taught myself to screen right. Um, what going get getting hold of a book like yours and thinking of someone who's wanting to learn screenwriting? Uh, what do you think makes a good screenwriting student? A good screenwriting student. Yeah. Uh, well, let me let me back into that by responding to the unnamed uh, writer. I think the in Hollywood, we talk about the note under the note. Mm. You get a script note. There's often that's not really the note. The note is what's under the note. Yeah. Um, and uh, I under I appreciate people who say that uh, you know the how to screenwriting books and whatnot that that's a path you shouldn't go down. Okay, I can hear that. But I think the note under the note is you can't teach screenwriting. You can't teach creativity. You can't teach unique each individual's. Uh, unique voice. They've got to find that themselves. Now you can nurture that along as a mm. teacher and, and, and encourage them to explore different styles, different genres, you know, encourage them. I, my office is a block from one of the great art inst- uh, museums in the world, the art Institute here in Chicago. And I encourage my students, take a break, go absorb art, mm. Listen, you know, read poetry. The Chicago symphony orchestra's headquarters is a block away. Go listen to the CSO, uh, you know, experience life. Now, that stuff you can't teach. They have to do that on their own. But I would humbly disagree with that writer that that screenwriting you can teach in terms of uh, theory, in terms of practice. There are very practical ways in which they can approach, uh, a writer can approach the process of breaking story, hmm. of working with characters and, and using that to to drive that process. You know, uh, my book has over 30 endorsements from professional screenwriters, mm. including Oscar winners. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I again, I humbly, uh, that writer can have their opinion, but clearly there are people who are in the business who respect and resonate with what my book is about. No, no. I mean, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't attacking your book. It was just because I find it a fascinating no theory as someone that came from no, from nothing to be to be able to screenwrite and it's like well and i think you're right i think one of the hardest lessons i found once i understood screenwriting as a craft actually was the creativity part of it which is how do you keep going to the well or how do you create situations that give you a well to go and draw on ideas create ideas develop ideas there that's where the artist is born that's where the voice is found isn't it where Right. You're no longer just trying to do a facsimile of that thing that you love. 
suddenly you're finding inspiration in what in what excites you. I don't I don't necessarily buy the idea of the adage of write what you know. I think I think write what excites you because you're going to need enthusiasm for the time it's going to take from from starting a screenplay and if you get lucky for it to be made into a TV show or a film. Yeah, I uh, there's a writer I know who had a great observation about that that you know write what you know. Uh, and he said he preferred this way of referring to it. Write what you know emotionally. <laughs> yeah. Write what you your experiences, you know, if you have uh, a, a uh, an experience of uh, a childhood experience of separation anxiety, like like deep seated separation anxiety, you can take that and, and run with that in any genre, mm. any story concept, right? But you know that emotionally, you may not know, you know, you may not know floating around Jupiter in a spaceship, right? Uh, none of us knows that, but you can make make that up. Um, through research and whatnot, but the emotional experience of the characters, that's stuff that you can carry forward. So again, that goes back to this idea of focusing on the characters and having them drive the process. Mm. And I think, I think as well, I think sometimes, and I think you touched on it with the how-to element to it, I think that, which is why I asked the question, what do you think makes a good student? Because I think that to learn anything like screenwriting, painting, playing the trumpet, whatever it is, it's, it's time spent doing it that's going to make you better. There's no, there's no fast track to be in front and center at Carnegie Hall, is there? There's, there's no fast track to be in up in the Tate Gallery, and there's no fast track to be an Oscar-winning screenwriter. You know, it's not, and there's no guarantees of any of that, even if you try hard. No, that that's exactly right. You have to go into it. Uh, you mentioned this about something you'd be excited about. Um, I start off every course I teach. I begin the class session like the first day. Hmm. I write on the board, this may be the most important thing you take away from this class and maybe the only thing you remember. Follow your list. <laughs> that comes from Joseph Campbell, uh, who I studied when I was back in college at the University of Virginia. Hmm. It was part of a, um, a mythology segment we were doing. I was in the religious studies department, the honors program, and we were studying mythology. Hmm. Um, and, and Campbell's book, The Year of a Thousand Faces, I, I read it back in 1974. But the point of the hero's journey, as far as Campbell was concerned, is the hero goes through a transformation. And in that transformation process, they discover something that's authentic within them. And then they embrace that, and that becomes the power empowering element that transforms them psychologically. And so this idea of follow your bliss, your bliss is that which excites you, that which in, 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 in energizes you, that... Uh, ennobles you that you feel you've got a talent for it something that enlivens you that you want to share with the world mm. and whether that's a vocation or an avocation a hobby find it and do that and you it won't be one thing it could be five or six things over the course of your life i left graduate school and did music for seven years stand-up comedy for two years screenwriting for as long as i've been doing this and teaching you know each time it was something that was enlivening to me and inter interesting to me so follow your bliss uh, mm. is absolutely something that i think is a an invaluable lesson and it plays directly into the story crafting process if you look at the protagonist's journey nine times out of ten and i'm just making that number up the protagonist goes through a transformation a what i call the unity arc where they start off in a state of disunity they're not living an authentic life 
As Joseph Campbell says at the beginning of the hero's journey, they are just making do. They need to change. <laughs> and so they go on this journey. The reason why the Campbell calls the call to adventure, <clears throat> Hollywood, they call it the inciting incident. The reason why that happens is because it has to happen. This goes back to someone who heavily influenced Campbell, Carl Jung, the founder of analytical psychology. His quote is, when an inner situation is outside is fate, hmm. which is a mind-blowing concept, and it's at the heart of my book, is that there is a synergy, a connectivity between the inner state of the character, the protagonist, and the outer state of the plot and the characters with whom they intersect. That 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 inciting incident is not random. It's the universe saying you cannot continue to live like this. This is not your authentic life. We are going to present challenges and tests to you. That's going to force you to go inside yourself and find that bliss element, and that's going to transform you uh, along the way. So that's my little thumbnail sketch of uh, what the protagonist's journey is about. So when people open up the book. Um, is, is it is this is this a is this a a, a series of lessons to t- to develop you as a writer within the book, or is this a book <clears> that you can dip in to areas to help you be better be better at character driven screenwriting and storytelling? So <clears throat> it's three parts, three act structure. That's how I structured it. <laughs> that works. Each each, each part's got seven uh, chapters, so it's very nicely you know uh, organized and balanced and whatnot. It's possible to jump to part three. Part three is based on a uh, way to break story hmm. that's character driven. Uh, I, I say this book is not so much a how-to book as it is a why-to book. Why to focus on your characters and ha- and, and and immerse yourself in their lives hmm. and have them drive the process. So it is possible in part three to focus on that because it's a very practical way starting with what I call the protagonist character treatment, these eight questions you ask right up at the beginning, Hmm. and then work your way through a process where you end up with a scene-by-scene outline or a treatment or a beat sheet. But there's a way of breaking story where you don't start with plot. You start with character, and you immerse yourself in their lives, and you're not even thinking plot. There are a set of exercises I do in the second stage of the process that involve questionnaires, biographies, pre-scene writing, then these direct engagement exercises where you're interviewing the character, where you're doing a, uh, a what I call a character sit-down, where you're uh, basically doing a Vulcan mind meld with the character, where you're getting inside their head, and they do a monologue or a stream of consciousness. You're just allowing all this stuff to come up, and you have no expectations, or you're not pre-editing at all. And then out of this, you start to wrangle that content by going through and saying, this seems really interesting. I'm going to carry that forward. And then you move into the plotting part of the process. And you start with the characters. So it's possible to read the book, just that last part. Nobody, the reason I, I created this course, I did that for my online uh, educational resource, screenwritingmasterclass.com. Mm. It was the first thing I did when I launched it 12 years ago. Nobody was teaching how to break story. And in Hollywood, that's like 90% of the game yeah. is, is uh, you know, breaking the story. So, but the first two parts are providing the theoretical framework and why it's so important. The first is the protagonist's journey and what I call the narrative imperative. The journey they go on is the journey they need to go on. And then the second part is the family of characters where you look at five archetypes. Protagonist, nemesis, attractor, mentor, and trickster. 
which we see over and over and over again in movies and TV. So that provides a theoretical framework for the last part, where you use that information, those ideas, those principles, in uh, actually breaking the story. But uh, yeah, so uh, that, that it's a why-to book, not a how-to book. No, no, that's, that's a good part. way of describing it. No, I like that. I like that. Um, mm-hmm. What, what for you when you when you say about it, the the, the about the breaking of story being so important to the screenwriting process? Can you can you can you give an example of? Of what of what something looks like where the story isn't broken, you know where what what goes if you don't break the story but still write your ninety pages, what 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 do you end up with then? What, what's what's the what's the failing there that you you're likely to fall foul of? No failing whatsoever. Some writers just can't. Uh, they're create. I always tell people there's no right way to write. Okay. Every writer is different. Every story is different. So my book is you know if it works for you great. If not, toss it. <laughs> there's yeah you, know, you got to find your own way here hmm. but um so if someone doesn't want to break story and they just want to tie it i got a concept and i got a protagonist character and i just want to see where this goes great go do that if you've got six months nine months 12 months to go down various paths and maybe it all lays out beautifully for you and you you, you nail it the first time around hmm. and then do some revisions or maybe you end up going down this path over here. Well, that doesn't work. I got to backtrack and I'll go down this path over here. And that takes me a little further. But now I got to backtrack here. That's fine. I think there are plenty of novelists who do that. But if you want to work in Hollywood, and absolutely, if you want to work in TV, that's not the way to do it. In TV, they break story. I just saw some pictures, photographs came out the other day of the writer's room for Succession, the TV series Succession. Yeah. The walls were covered with index cards because that's what they do. They use index cards to break story. So there's just in Hollywood, if you've got 12 weeks to turn in a draft, are you really just going to start off with like a character and a story concept and trust that you're going to get there by the end of 12 weeks? No, better if you spend four or five weeks breaking the story. And then you've got that template, that guideline, that, uh, that outline that you can then use to guide you through the process. It actually saves you time, in mm. my view. But I'm not saying you have to do it. Every writer is different. They can do whatever they want. Okay, but, so may, uh, but also what I'm thinking is there in terms of when you say break in story then, what does what does that mean to the layperson? I mean, because that, that's in, I mean, it's an interesting turn of phrase because in a way you're breaking it as in it, making it, you're going to get it wrong, get it wrong, get it wrong, find some right stuff, get it wrong, get it wrong, get it wrong. And all the while you're 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 breaking it to fix it, aren't you? If you want to use the terms, if I'm being what do you call it? Um, if I'm being what look at metaphorical? Yeah, yeah, about it. But literally, but what, but then the, the 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 final resolution is you break the story as in you break through and you have a story. So that idea. So just thinking of that, really. Well, yeah. Well, that's actually an interesting take on it. I think the uh, I, I'm guessing because I don't really know. It's just been. Ever since I started working in Hollywood in 1987, that's okay. people talked about we breaking story. I think it actually, I'm guessing the origins of it, you know, like on the Wild West, uh, you know, like Westerns, you know, they got those wild horses that the, the, they bring in, from the, mm-hmm. you know, they. Okay, the, okay, the yeah, 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 yeah. They call it breaking a horse. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so if you think about the material that you generate in, uh, you know, brainstorming the story that's this this wild stallion hmm. right it's just this wild 
frenetic, chaotic stuff that's jumping around and 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 is not uh, uh, it's untamed. Hmm. But then, as you go through the process of working with it, you start to see these connections, and in particular, you start to see this is the nature of the protagonist's journey psychologically. Yeah, yeah. They start off here, and they end up here. That becomes the rope, the lasso that helps you to tame that stallion and you break that horse. You're breaking the story. But I think you're, you're absolutely right. That's a great note that a breakthrough, mm. right? You want to break through at the end. So yeah, it's a great metaphor. I like it. I mean, it's, a, but every writer I know in Hollywood uses that terminology, breaking story. Fantastic. Well, look, um, the protagonist journey an introduction to character driven screenwriting and storytelling is available now. Who's the publisher again? Palgrave Macmillan. Fantastic. And people can get that in ebook and in physical form, can't they? Yes. In fact, uh, Springer is the parent company, hmm. and the book's been so popular. They, they recently got in touch with me and said that it's, uh, quote, uh, big, one of their biggest sellers. Okay. Uh, they now offer free um, mailing services, free shipping services to anybody in the world. So Fantastic. you can go to the Springer, uh, you know, the Springer site. And they, you can see there that they got that link there, which you can buy it from Springer directly, and it'll I'll, just ship it anywhere in the world. I'll put a link in the show notes. And and is, has it been translated into any other languages at all? They're talking about that. Fantastic. It's actually going to be featured. Palpograph McMillan's going to this big uh, exposition in Europe and Germany in October, hmm. and they're bringing the book along with other popular ones. And they're talking about yeah, having it translated. That's the bit. I think I presume that'll be the big Frankfurt Book Conference. That's a big a big old event. There. That's. That's the one. I think yeah. that's like can for, for books. <laughs> I guess I, I'm not a book guy, you know, so I didn't know. I was like, okay, it sounds good. <laughs> Great. Well, look, sir, let us move into the uh, three films that have impacted everything in adult life. Uh, for those people that haven't heard this before, I'll just do a quick, a quick overview of the mm-hmm. rules. Um, Scott has given me three films, three titles, and we're going to talk about each one of those for five minutes maximum, the bell, an alarm will go off after five minutes and it will sound like this. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, without further ado, does that sound like the rules are simple enough to you? Oh, yeah. I'm ready to go. Fantastic. Right. Five minutes and counting on Billy Wilder's The Apartment from 1960. Where does that feature in your film memories? Why is that an impactful film for you? Well, uh, I would have to ground this in saying that most of my adult life has been involved with screenwriting and movies. Uh, I just have been a movie fan forever. Mm. And Billy Wilder is my favorite filmmaker. Billy Wilder had such an incredible range of movies that he did across genres. The Apartment is my favorite movie. Uh, To me, it's like the perfect script. And it was co-written with his longtime partner, uh, Izzy Diamond, I-A-L Diamond. Mm. In 1959, they came out with Some Like It Hot. So look, think of those two movies. It's amazing. Back to back. It's amazing. 1960. It is amazing, right? And The Apartment, which won several Academy Awards, including Best Original Screenplay, is a really unique film. It's a very uh, hot topic in 1960 to be talking about sexual politics in the office place. Mm. It was like Mad Men way before Mad Men. Yeah. And um, also, it was a dark comedy. It's funny, but it's got, you know, they're dealing with issues of suicide. Oh, it's tar black, uh, isn't know. it? It's absolutely tar black. Yeah. yeah, very dark. And so to hit that tone and just stay on it scene after scene, they just nailed the tone perfectly uh, and, and just stayed right on top of it. So that is a really important lesson for me. And with all my students, I say, when you're going through that first couple of drafts, that's one of your the, one of the key aspects of your journey of discovery. What's the tone? Mm. What's the tone and the feel and the atmosphere of the thing? So the the fact that uh, that they did it so beautifully in that movie is a, is a real uh, object lesson for me. But the premise of it is very simple. Again, you can have simple ideas and have great stories because the characters are so complex. The basic premise of it is a Manhattan insurance clerk tries to rise in his company, corporate advancement, mm. by letting it executive uses apartment for trist so he gives his key and it starts floating around and now all of a sudden his apartment is being used by these four middle upper middle management guys uh and then eventually his boss the head of the ceo so it's a very simple premise right uh but the characters are so specific and so uh complex there's also dramatic irony all over the place like baxter doesn't know uh, that's the protagonist doesn't know that sheldrake who's his boss is having an affair with Fran, who Baxter's you know, pining for. Yeah. So he doesn't know that for a long time. The revelation of that is amazing. That scene is one of the greatest scenes ever where he opens up that compact and sees the cracked mirror and realizes oh, it's... no no exposition, just visual exposition. No, right? not a word of dialogue, is there? Not, no, it just all it just hits him, right? Uh, Fran doesn't know that Baxter, he's got the apartment where she's having the affair with Sheldrake. Until later on, right? Um, and then the the neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Dreyfus, Dr. Dreyfus, they think all the partying going on in Baxter's apartment is Baxter. It's all these other guys who are getting there and turning on the record and drinking and going and having their sexual uh, picadillos with, uh, with these other people. So there's all this interesting, fun, dramatic irony going on. And then I'll end it with this note. Dr. Dreyfus is this little character in the story. He's probably in five or six scenes. He's very important at one point because when Fran has stayed over at Baxter's place and has attempted to commit suicide, he helps bring her back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's more important thematically 
because he says to Baxter, thinking that Baxter's this party boy, you know what you need to do, Baxter? You need to be a mensch, <laughs> a human being, he says to him, <laughs> right? And that sets up the beautifully, he could go, Baxter could go with the corporate freedom brute and lose his soul and become like Sheldrake, or he could discover his mensch. That's that bliss thing that's inside of that authentic nature. And when he finally quits at the end, it's my last point. When he finally quits at the end, back Sheldrake says, what's gotten into you? He says, you know what? Like following doctor's orders, <laughs> become a mensch. You know what that is? A human being. And he walks out. It's just, it's a, there's so many great moments in this movie. It's such a wonderful story. I just, the apartment is inspiration to me always. And as, as a central, well, he's, he's really interested as a central protagonist because on, on one level, you could you could view him as a loser, and obviously, from the signal to the audience is this loser needs to grow. But in some senses, being a loser is often things happening to you as opposed to you actively doing doing anything about life. And but but I think that the film tackles that really well because you you see him thwarted every time he tries to do something or tries, he's always thwarted. And now the bell's going. You'd be glad to learn. I'll finish my. I'll finish my question. Um, the on my point. Sorry, is that I just think it's really interesting because because a loser's a very hard. I mean, I think it's a hard character to write, and yeah, and yeah. I think obviously Billy Wilder's just just done it in such an amazing and as he's just done it in an amazing fashion. Yeah, well, you know, in Hollywood they have that thing about you don't want to be a passive protagonist, yeah. right? And so often losers kind of are in that vein. But I don't look at Baxter being a passive, he's a reactive protagonist. He's constantly having things come at him. And it's only in the very, very end where he says, I quit, that he becomes proactive. Mm. Uh, and so, and then, you know, in the end, gets the girl. <laughs> Indeed. Right then. Second choice is, and I'll, I'll cite the writer on this one rather than the director, given we're talking screenwriting, Michael Arndt's uh, feature film debut, I think it was, uh, Little Miss Sunshine from 2006. Do you want to talk to us about about that film and why that's what, what, what impact that has on you? Well, first of all, Mike Arndt is uh, you know one of I think contemporary screenwriting's uh, gifts. <laughs> He's not only a great screenwriter; he does these uh, wonderful videos. He talks about you know the keys to a beginning of a story and the keys to an ending of a story and whatnot. They're amazing. <laughs> so yeah, so he's a real <clears throat> benefit to the screenwriting community. He's also an inspiration. As I understand it, he was Matthew Broderick's yes, he was. for several years yeah, and had been writing some screenplays on the side. But then he quit and said, I'm going to give myself a year uh, you know, to kind of make it. And he wrote Little Miss Sunshine. And he wrote it, I think, like three or four days and then spent a year rewriting it. Well, it turned out to be one of these, one of the most wonderful indie films uh, you know, that I can remember. Um, and I love it. Uh, you know, I've seen it many times. He won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. And so that's an inspiration in and of itself. Just the fact that someone had an idea, followed their passion on it, wrote it, then spent an entire year rewriting it, getting it whipped into shape. And and, uh, and then it panned out very well. So it's, again, it's a simple plot. Uh, the family determined to get their young daughter into the finals of a, a beauty pageant. They take a cross-country trip in this troubled bw bus so it's simple it's just a, it's a hero's journey it's like literally going from here to there but it's a great example of character-driven storytelling 
because each character, aside from Olive, the little girl, uh, you know, has is a flawed, wounded type figure. Uh, you know, the grandfather is like addicted to snorting heroin. Uh, Frank is recuperating from, you know, attempted suicide. And so there's that going on. And, and my, my students, I was telling them, you know, simple plot, complex characters. That's that's if you can do that, you're in you're in good hands. Um, also, there's an interesting construction to it. Like you'd say, well, who's the protagonist in the story? You'd think, well, maybe Olive, because it's her goal to perform in the beauty pageant. I don't see it that way. I see her as the central character. The, there are three protagonists in the story, Frank, Dwayne, and Richard. And all three of them are tied together with the same theme. Uh, Mike Art talks about this. This theme of the story is success versus failure. Now, Richard is, you know, I want to be, you know, a, a self-help guru. And so he's mm. got this little pyramid of success thing. Uh, Frank, the reason he uh, commits suicide, because he's the number, number one Proust scholar in the world or something. <laughs> but his ex-boyfriend is going with the number, number. I guess he's the number two, Frank, is in the number one. That's right. Yeah, wins yeah. over the boyfriend, right? And so success, failure. And then Dwayne is so disgusted by his family and how low rent and fractured they are he's taken to utter silence and he's doing this workout regimen because he wants to get into the air force academy and become a pilot metaphorically get as far away from these people <laughs> as he can thirty-five thousand hundred feet in the air right so the, all of them are dealing with this issue of success and failure and there's this great scene where they're in california and all of this getting ready to do the beauty pageant and Dwayne and frank are out on this pier and they're having a conversation and Dwayne, uh, I, I assume it's okay to drop some F-bombs here. Oh, yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. You're fine. You're fine. Dwayne says, this is a direct quote. He says, you know what? Fuck beauty contests. Life is one fucking beauty contest after another. School, then college, then work. Fuck that. And fuck the Air Force Academy. If I want to fly, I'll find a way to fly. And he ends it with this. You do what you love and fuck the rest. And that's follow your bliss. Mm. When I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's just Joseph Cavs, the hero's journey. It's the whole point. You find that thing that, that, that enlivens you, that energizes you, that feels authentic to you, then follow that. And so uh, this movie is essentially uh, you know, affirming that lesson that I learned from reading Joseph Campbell all those years ago. Uh, it's also just a really, the dance scene with all of is one of the best scenes. And the description that Mike Art writes about in the screenplay, how he describes Olive's dancing, is priceless. It's so well-written. Anyhow, great script, great movie. And in many ways, it, it, it the, the whole idea of the film plays into your Follow the Bliss theory as well, because let's be honest, if you if you were to just just stop, stop, stop any sort of development executive and pitch to them that I've got a dysfunctional family with a grandfather teaching his, his 10-year-old granddaughter to, uh, to lap dance, as part of her entry into a beauty pageant, you're not going to get many takers on that as a pitch. But but whatever whatever the recipe is that Michael is uh, concocting, it certainly works. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it speaks to the beauty of indie films where you can have storytelling elements that seem a little off kilter, mm. but because the characters are identifiable, the, there's universality about being a family. Right. Uh, that's just the place at the heart of it. 
Our bell is gone, sir. Our bell is gone. One, just before we get onto the third one, if I could ask you, because I think you, you bring up something that is interesting in terms of this film that makes it different, I suppose, certainly from the apartment, which is a clear protagonist, is you, when you've got multiple protagonists, that's that's a very different challenge. It's not to say that, you know, mm-hmm. Shirley MacLaine's character still has an arc in, in the apartment. She's not just like a, a vessel for Baxter, but it's not as clear as the three characters you named in, in, in Little Miss Sunshine. What do you think? What do you think? Is there, is there a, different to, a difference to approach, do you think, with, with writing? Do, 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 do you tackle that in your book? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have an exercise that we do with all my graduate and undergraduate students. It's called Switch Protagonists. Okay. Every character is the protagonist in their own story. It doesn't matter if it's a, a donut-eating cop who's got one line, he went that way. That mm. character is the protagonist in their own story. You look at each one and you identify those core elements. What do they want? You know, what is their need? What's their unconscious goal, I call it, the mm. deepest need that's driving them? What do they fear the most? What's the synthesis of one and me? Why does this story have to happen to this character at this time? These are all key questions that we ask in that protagonist character treatment, the very first stage in, in the breaking story thing. So you switch protagonists, and it's a great way for you to humanize each of those characters. Uh, it's really important when you're dealing with nemesis characters. You know, uh, there's a great quote, which is even bad guys have moms. <laughs> well, okay, so get to know get to know them, you know, as a, as a protagonist in their own world, because that's their experience. So, yeah, switch protagonists, great exercise. Fantastic, fantastic. Right then, finally, we're going to go down, we're going to go look at some animation. Uh, 2009's Up, a more recent film. What for you is the impact of that? I mean, it's in my my mind, it's almost like a perfect film. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how they've managed to string us along. No matter how many times you watch it, you still fall for it, and it's and it's just a wonderfully constructed piece of storytelling. But do you, do you want to talk about it from what what where it impacts yeah. on you? Well, so I have two children; they're now adults, but the it took a while to get our second child out into the world. But uh, they spanned. The, the entirety of their childhood basically spanned the the the, the emergence of Pixar. Hmm. Like my little boy Will uh, at the time uh, was like four years old when Toy Story came out, and so I I probably wouldn't have watched these Pixar movies like I did, but because I had these kids, I was going to see these Pixar films, and they're great storytellers. They just are, hmm. you know. I, I Mary Coleman was a, a friend. Uh, she's now moved on from Pixar, but she was their head of story for many years. And I, I interviewed her and got to know her. We did some events at the Austin Film Festival together. And by the way, Up is her favorite of the Pixar okay. films. So when we talked about their process, it's character-driven process. It makes sense. They're animators. They're drawing characters all the time, right? Mm. So that that really is at the heart of what they're doing. Uh, I'm a huge Pixar fan. Of course, Mike Arndt wrote Toy Story 3, and he's been heavily involved with Pixar. So that's another thing. Yeah. The plot, again, it's very simple. The, this old guy, Carl Fredrickson, is, is hell-bent on getting this house with balloons on it uh, and fly it to Paradise Falls, which was where his wife, Ellie, who has died, like literally in the first 10 minutes, you see, you know, you learn that she has died. I mean, what? This is a family movie, but it works. Yeah. Uh, and he's trying to get it to Paradise Falls, which was always her dream. So again, another journey movie, right? And then all these complications happen along the way. Um, it, it's such a, a terrific uh, a character-driven piece. He has a very defined want. 
His conscious goal is to get the house on top of Paradise Falls. But that's not what he needs. What he needs is to have, uh, I call it a resurrection story. He's essentially life less at the beginning of the story, life hyphen less. Mm. He's just stringing out the days of his life because Ellie's gone and it's meaningless. And he needs to get in touch with that adventurous spirit we saw in the very first scene where he's a little kid and admired and wanted to be an adventurer. And of course, Ellie is the, the, the perfect uh, metaphor for that. Um, and so he needs to come back to life. Mm. He needs to be enlivened. He needs to be able to know that he can love again. And so all the characters he meets, Russell is a surrogate uh, attractor character. He takes the place of Ellie, fills that void. Doug the dog is a mentor. I just met you and I love you. <laughs> and so that was a lesson to, to Carl. You can love again. You have the capability of loving again. And Kevin is a trickster. He tests the will of, of, uh, of, uh, of Carl. He shows up at times when he's not supposed to. He doesn't show up at times. Oh, by the way, it's not a he, it's a she. <laughs> so it's very much a trickster character, right? And, and causes Carl to make a promise to, to uh, Russell. He's going to help get Kevin back to her babies. And that leads to the one of the best act to all of lost moments in cinema history, as far as I'm concerned, where Carl is t- uh, given a choice. Save Kevin or save the house, which once the bad guy is set on fire. And he, he goes to save the house. He takes it to Paradise Falls. He's achieved his conscious goal, but it's a pyrrhic victory. Not meaningful. Not meaningful until he re- realizes with his adventure book where she has taken pictures of their married life and said, we had a great adventure. Now go have a new one. It is, oh my gosh. I love that movie so much. Um, and, and the fact that it stars like a 78-year-old dude. You know, I'm an old guy, so I'm like, hey. I, I was going to say, I'd love to have been in that pitch meeting where somebody says, what we want as a central protagonist is a grieving widower. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the, the Wall Street downgraded Disney stock when anticipating this movie coming out. Really? They said, no, yeah, they, they said no one's going to go, where are, the, where are the plush dolls? Where's the little, you know, where, where, where are the toys? Who's again? Who's going to go see a movie where the protagonist is a seventy-year-old guy whose oh my wife word. dies? But it did seven hundred million dollars worldwide. Yeah, what 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 the Wall Street now, eh? Um, but yeah, but in that sense though, what what do you? I mean, what do you think they did do with the character that made it have that unit? I mean, because obviously it's it almost feels like the the perfect recipe for a film that adult that parents can watch with their children because it's got it's got very complex nuance that an adult can <clears> understand, but it's also got Playful colours and silly, silly slapstick and farce that 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 a child can tune into without thinking too hard about it. Well, that's what Pixar does so well. Hmm. They they lean into. I, I don't know whether they are consciously think. Finish your thought. Okay, finish your thought, sir. Finish my thought. We're consciously thinking about whether uh, this or not. But stories are the safest place for children to learn about the dangers and trials and tribulations of life. You read a book, you can close it. You're watching TV, you can turn it off. You're going to a movie that you can walk out. And so they deal with it. They, boy, death and separation, they deal with that in, in many of their stories, with death metaphorically and then death, you know, literally. So uh, they balance that out with the humor and they hit that over and over again. Well, look, we've reached the end of our three films that have impacted everything in adult life. It's been a pleasure talking to you about it. And before I go, one thing I should have mentioned at the beginning is that um, I've been using your active verb looks cheat sheet and walks cheat sheet. They are two of my most valuable tools in the writing toolbox I have got. 
If any, if if I meet people that haven't got it, I share it with them immediately. It is an amazing research. Just those two alone, let alone other stuff mm-hmm. that you've blogged about. So I, I, I'm really grateful to be able to thank you personally for for oh. what, what use that's been to me. I can tell you. Yeah. Well, when you're talking scene description, your friends, your allies, your best allies are verbs, active, strong, visual verbs. So yeah, looks and walks. I tell my students, okay, first draft, I don't mind, but once you get into that polished draft. Go through and look at those lists. 90 words for looks, 115 words for walks, right? No, no, no fantastic, fantastic. Well, look, uh, remind, the, the protagonist's journey, an introduction to character-driven screenwriting storytelling is out now. People can get that uh, as an ebook and as a physical book. I'll put a link in the show notes to where people can get it delivered for free. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for joining us on the BritFlix podcast. Well, thanks a lot. I uh, so much enjoyed talking to you. And I love just the opportunity to relive three of these films that are so meaningful to This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com.